0: T-G-I-M, T-M-R-E. This is episode 330.
1: You change and grow and evolve. And that's a good thing. You got to go with it and let things change because you get better and wiser and stronger and you make different decisions. And that's a good thing. We can't be afraid of that.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Trisha. Trisha took her last drink on November 13th, 2016. She is from Dallas and she is 40 years old. Trisha has been on the show before. She chatted with Paul on episode 100 and episode 212, but this interview is going to be a little bit different. On today's show, we are focusing on something that Trisha talks a lot about in her own podcast, which is life beyond the bottle. What happens after you have some sober time under your belt? What gets easier? What gets harder? I have the privilege of being friends with Trisha and I learn from her always, which is why I wanted her to come back on the show to have a chat with me and with all of you all as well. Every one of her interviews here has been different because as you know, these journeys change for all of us. We are constantly becoming and learning and growing. So thank you, Trisha, for joining us here and for coming back one more time. If you're interested in listening to any of the other interviews that Trisha's been on, like I said, it's episode 100, 212, and I'm going to have Liz link those shows in the notes as well. Before we get started, I want to remind you that today is the final episode of Season 2 of the Recovery Elevator podcast. Don't worry, we're going right into Season 3 starting next Monday, June 21st. And I don't want to give away what new surprises we have in store for Season 3, but I'll tell you this much. It's going to be fun, it's going to be full of spicy chili mango, it's going to be full of ice cream, and there will definitely be more of what we do best which is sharing stories and helping others along the way thank you once again to everyone that supported us during season two season two was full of changes it was a big transition and my heart is full this has been an amazing experience and i am grateful every day that i get to do this thank you ty for editing all of my mexican bloopers Thank you, Liz, for putting together the show notes. And thank you, Chris, for helping out with the mixdown. This project takes time, effort, and a whole lot of love that is put day in and day out by everyone on the Recovery Elevator team. So thank you. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. In the last couple of weeks and months, we've been getting a lot of messages from people sharing a similar struggle, the feeling of being stuck. I'm ready to quit drinking, but I get so envious of others around me when they're drinking. Or, it feels like the path is to be sober, but I'm struggling in letting go of booze. How will I be able to celebrate and enjoy life without it? First off, I want to say this is a totally normal chapter on this journey. You're not failing because you're having these thoughts. It's part of the cognitive dissonance. That push-pull is normal, like I said. And this is like breaking free from the matrix. The matrix being this life, this world, this society where yoga and mimosas seem to be the new ultimate pairing, where communities sell drinking as a way to connect, communities where you can get certified as a craft beer expert. How did we get here? How can we live outside of these narratives and break free from this story When we are consistently being surrounded by messages supporting alcohol consumption. It's like we're choosing to swim against the current. Until we realize we don't even have to keep swimming. Not because you're giving up and going back into the matrix, but because you've realized that you don't even have to be a part of it. You can step out of the water. You can put on your comfiest clothes, lay out a blanket and some of your favorite snacks, and just exist outside of what is happening inside of the matrix. It's when we resist this journey that it feels the hardest. When we believe that the only way out of this misery is to keep swimming upstream. The reality is that sooner or later, our arms get tired and we get bitter and angry and resentful and sad and disappointed. Choosing to see this journey as an opportunity instead of a sacrifice is the first step in breaking free from the crazy alcohol matrix. Choosing to see and believe that we are the lucky ones, as Laura McCowan says. Choosing to see that the decision to not drink is a decision we make because we understand that there is not one single positive thing that alcohol can contribute to our lives. The matrix lies to us. It tells us that engaging with alcohol will provide us with everything that we want, from acceptance and love, to status, to connection, to approval, to safety. The matrix is flirty, and attractive, and we all fall for those looks and promises. It's not until we understand that we are being seduced and wooed that we can stop engaging with it. When I quit drinking, I stopped consuming alcohol, but I was still stuck in the matrix. I was still wanting to engage with people in the same way that I was engaging before. I still wanted to interact with the world as if nothing had happened, and I was expecting to still feel like I was a part of it. It's taken me time to realize that I not only had to detach from booze, but I also had to detach from the matrix because the new way of life I was looking for doesn't even exist within the matrix. Yes, we have to live in this world. We have to be part of society in these communities where alcohol is normalized, but we have power, the power to choose and create new experiences. We have to stop resisting this journey and we have to stop wanting to fit in where we once fit in so perfectly. Because the reality is, we don't fit there anymore, even if we wanted to. We've outgrown that version of ourselves. And although that may come with grief, it also comes with plenty of opportunity. And guess what? It also comes with joy. And joy is scary sometimes because we think we don't deserve it or we think it won't last. So we go back to wanting to try to fit in that space that was there for us inside of the matrix. And when we try to mold ourselves and squeeze ourselves back in there, we get mad because we don't fit in as well anymore. Our arms get tired of swimming and we feel like we want to give up. I wanted to close out this season with a reminder. You have the power to break free from the matrix. You have the power to heal, to create new pathways in your brain, to discover new places, new friends, new parts of yourself that you didn't even know existed, you can find peace in your decision. You can stop fighting the ways in which people live inside of the matrix and instead focus on the beautiful piece of grass you're now sitting on. We don't have to add suffering to an already sometimes painful path. We can lean into new beginnings and things that feel good. In listening to this show, you're already a part of the new matrix a new world that goes beyond quitting drinking, a place where we're able to be honest with ourselves, where we are willing to change, where we are part of this bigger healing cohort. You matter. I know days are hard and we get vulnerable. And on those days, it's really hard to not be seduced by the matrix. Trust me, I've been there. I know though that every time I go back and try to fit in, in the way that I did in the past, there's this new sense of self-betrayal because there's no room for that version of me there anymore. You can find peace in your decision to stop drinking. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Trisha, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe Ari almost immediately after I found it and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me straight away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in the community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my own journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24 7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community. you get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and to sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive the setup fee. Again, use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Trisha, welcome back, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm good, Odette. How are you?
0: I'm really happy to talk to you today. Anytime I that I do. get to talk to you, um, I know you've been on this show before. I've been on yours. We also have the privilege of being friends. So I'm just really happy that this is how I'm wrapping up my day today.
1: Thank you. Me too. It's 530 here. So it's happy hour. It's happy hour. We're having our we're having our chives. We're talking recovery. It's a great way for me to end my day. So thank you. I'm so psyched to be here.
0: Thank you, Mi Amiga. And since you have been on this show before, I'm going to borrow a question from your book and just ask you to give us a brief synopsis of you. People can go back. I'm going to have Liz add your previous episode in the show notes so that they can listen to your story in detail if they want to. But I really have some other things that I want to focus on for today. So if you could just give us a brief five to 10 minute summary of your journey um, and what got you here for those listeners that are new to you.
1: Sure. Well, my name is Trisha Lewis. Uh, I quit drinking on November fourteenth, 2016. Uh, Sometimes that feels like a week ago. And sometimes that feels like 100 years ago. But up until that day, uh, I would have called myself a high functioning alcoholic or drinker. I don't really have a word that I identify myself with. But, you know, I grew up around addiction. I had family members that were really close to me that that had uh, alcohol and drug problems. So my idea of what a problem looked like was based on my experience with those people around me. And they were people who were just sort of like exploding their lives. So I thought that having a drinking problem meant that you, you know, that you looked really bad, like that that everybody could tell it was a problem, that it was undeniable, that you lost jobs, got in fights, ruined your family, you know, like that you did all of the those stigma type things. And so um, in being around a family member like that, it's pretty common for a sibling or a loved one to, you know, be codependent, which... That word sounds different than it means. Um, <laughs> codependent, you know, we just we focus our attention on other people and try to fix them or try to control the situation to make it peaceful for everybody. Like they end up sort of becoming our, our addiction and our obsession. And for me, that took the form of perfectionism and trying to overachieve and, and sort of make up for my brother, who was the drinker in the family, the, the addict in the family. So I I found achieving and perfectionism and success to be what validated me. That was my currency. So I grew up and... always worked a lot. I worked in the service industry. Uh, In my 20s, I worked as a chef at a really young age. And in anyone who's been in the restaurant industry knows that it is like working on a pirate ship every day. It can be at least for that was my experience. So we worked really hard. And I would go out and drink as hard as I worked and get up early the next day and do it all over again. And I was very protective of my drinking. I didn't want anyone to know that I had a problem. Because that idea of like, just understand, how hard that is to be around an alcoholic. I didn't, I just didn't want to be that for anyone around me. So I just, my obsession was making sure it looked like I was fine. Don't worry about me. Everything's fine. But I used drinking to control things, um, to control my feelings, to control my anxiety. And over time, it just got progressively worse. I was a blackout drinker pretty early on And, you know, it's like I I remember in my 20s hearing friends talk about their blackout stories and they would kind of laugh about it. But I it never seemed funny to me. It always seemed scary. And I was always worried um, about that. So as the problem progressed, um, I would say in my early to mid 30s, I was getting to a point where I couldn't really quit for longer than a week at a time you know, for a while, I could go a month, and then I could go three weeks, and then I could go two weeks. And then it got to where I just needed to drink every day. And I got a surprise divorce in my mid 30s. And that's really when things got really bad. I was at that point, I was using alcohol, just to cope. And I didn't want to feel my feelings. It worked for me in the past. But it drove me to just such a dark place to where I was I was more anxious when I drank. I absolutely could not control what happened after I had one. Sometimes I would stop at three. Sometimes I would go for three days. And it got to be completely out of my control. But the weird thing is, I was still so good at making it look like I had a problem. Mm -hmm. I was so good at that. And that is that obsession with, do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? That was almost the worst part. And I finally, one morning woke up on a Monday, I had been partying all weekend. It looked great on Instagram, and it looked great on social media. And it was socially acceptable binge drinking, but I couldn't shake that hangover on Monday. I went into three full days of physical withdrawal. And I always like to preface that by saying that uh, that's dangerous. If you're a daily drinker, please don't stop qu- quitting cold turkey. Like, do not like, please talk to your doctor because you can die if you quit the way that I quit. So that's risky. Don't do what I did. Um, but after about three days, I started to feel a little bit better. I started listening to podcasts. I found one called Recovery Elevator and I heard a girl's story and she sounded just like mine. She sounded like she had her stuff together, too. And I that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone else share a story that sounded like me. And that's when I knew I wasn't alone. And that's kind of when the rubber hit the road. I started looking for resources at that point. So the girl in that story uh, on the podcast went to AA. So I went to a meeting. I, I considered it just getting data. And uh, and from that point on, I was like, okay, I'm going to join this Facebook group. I'm going to go to AA. I started working the steps. I had a sponsor. Uh, I went back to therapy. Like everybody was giving me all these ideas for how to do this. And so I tried all of them. And I just really wanted to find out what worked for me. And they didn't all stick. And I didn't do all of them all the time. But... I liked that I could do this my way. And if, if on Wednesday it felt different and I wanted to do it that way, then I could do that. There's actually a lot of freedom in recovery that we don't realize. So that's how I I started recovering, really. And I don't know if that's where you want me to stop the story or what.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's crazy to think that it's gonna be five years in November yes, coming up. It's gonna be five years. Yeah,
1: that's weird. That's, that's weird, it doesn't feel like it.
0: I mean, I remember the first time I ever met you in person. Uh, I remember we met at a retreat, you were had either just had your one year or were about to hit your one year, one of the one of the two. And I just remember in in a way you debunking so many myths that I had around sobriety, just in interacting, interacting with you. I mean, you were fun, high energy. Uh, The first person that I met in person that I thought, I would want to be friends with this person because that's the other thing (laughs) (laughs) that I think uh, we keep bumping into these situations. And I hear story after story of like, we feel like we're alone. That's the first thing. And you mentioned you heard your story through someone else's story on the podcast. And then we also feel like nobody like us is struggling with this. It's like, oh, people are actually out there, but nobody that's like me. And I feel yeah, like I'm we're... different. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah, my my story is unique. Yeah, it's not actually. We're all the same.
0: <laughs> we're all the same. And and I loved I loved meeting you. I loved hearing what was working from you. And to this day, even on your show, I love how open minded you are about trying new things not attaching any permanence to anything, because we're always changing, we're always evolving. And I feel like we have to honor who we're becoming, as time goes by, and we can't really attach ourselves to who we were, because it can change. And I feel like you've been showing that along sharing your journey.
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's I just had this, I always think in metaphors, I just had one that popped into my head. And it's like, if I think about what I thought I knew best in November of 2016, and I only recovered that way, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. You know, it's like as as if if I like my definition of what good music was in the fourth grade, like as if that would really apply at age 40, you change and grow and evolve. And that's a good thing. You got to go with it and let things change because you get better and wiser and stronger and you make different decisions. And that's a good thing. We can't be afraid of that.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, we can't, I know you and I talk about this all the time offline. We can't be afraid of that. And then it's also such a good teacher to me and to you in how we react to people's decisions, because maybe when you were in your early sobriety months, anything outside of AA would have sounded crazy that now is a part of your own journey. So we almost learn to just stay humble in the process of staying open because we never know if we're going to be the ones trying that thing that we thought we'd never try in the
1: future. That's a great point.
0: Yeah. And I I do have one question right out of the gate that came to my mind when I knew you were going to be on here simply because It's happening to me a little bit. I don't know if it's because of where I'm at in my context or if it happens to other people. So this myth of the further you get away from your last drink, is it becoming easy to forget how bad your problem was? and say, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe I wasn't drinking that much. Just because, you know, we have this tendency, I think about pregnancy and labor and delivery and how we forget how much it sucked. And then you lose perception a little bit. How do you have you forgotten how bad it was? A And how do you make yourself remember that it was as bad as it was?
1: You know, uh, there's a part of me that forgets, but not in a way that ever makes me consider drinking as an option. I think that with time, everything gets a little fuzzy, but the general understanding that I still have about my past relationship with alcohol is that it was terrible and that I can never go back to it. The freshness of what new sobriety felt like, like that first 90 days was so weird and uncomfortable and scary and exhilarating and just wild. Like that freshness has kind of, sometimes it's hard for me to go back and, and remember exactly what that felt like. But I think that's just time. And I I don't think it's necessarily me forgetting about how bad things were. And also, to be fair, I talk about recovery a lot. You know, being in this community and having the, you know, recovery happy hour and having a really solid group of friends who are also in recovery. I make this a really big part of my life. And I, I think that's a big reason why. I never forget how bad it was. And that's important. I mean, we have to talk about this. We have to integrate recovery into our lives for that reason. You know, we need that. We really need it like knitted into our lives. So we understand why we can't go back to the way it was.
0: Yeah. And listeners, I mean, Trisha has her own podcast. I'm hosting this podcast for now. And there are other ways to create that daily recovery piece of your life. And I want to encourage you guys. I mean, like Trisha said, we have a deep trust circle where we're all talking about recovery and sobriety and why in one way or another, even if that's not the topic of conversation, there's underlying things that we all share when we enter this journey. And I often think, you know, even if I had the thought of drinking back, that would actually mean at this point that I would lose some of my closest friends because even when I was having my day ones and having my slip ups, you were always there. But of course, the relationship is going to change if I would decide to go back out and attempt to be a normal drinker. So even just having close relationships with other people on this journey, I think builds such good accountability, because then you don't want to let go of those relationships. At least that's what helps me a ton.
1: Yeah, we all just encourage each other, you know, and I think that, you know, giving back, you know, encouraging other people and, you know, my listener, you know, social media followers, like, again, that that's just more reinforcement that I need to practice what I preach and I can't go back. I can't go back. It was, it was, well, I mean, a not nice way to say it is like, I would be an idiot to go back <laughs> knowing what I know now and living this life and knowing what I went through the first 35 years doing, I would have to go crazy to go back to it.
0: What would you say are some lessons in sobriety that are some later lessons, things that maybe you weren't ready to even start processing early on, because at the beginning, we're just so laser focused on not drinking,
1: not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people pleasing is such a deep rooted issue with me. I mean, that goes back to, you know, all the inner child work that I've done with my therapist, I think we're figuring out I mean, that was probably back when I was like four. So as I Get more time and do that work underneath the alcohol. I realize what a, what an old and hard habit that's going to be to break, and it's. I mean, it, you never arrive. It's continuous work, uh, but that's a big one that I know I'm going to be working on for a long time. And it it took me a hot minute to get there too. Like you said, in the beginning, we just need to figure out how to get through the day without drinking alcohol. And then as you work through this process, you start picking up those little nuggets along the way and you, you know, turn over rocks and you, you know, look under things and you'll find something over here that you need to work on. And, you know, as you keep going, you'll find something over there. And it's really cool because it never gets old. But that people pleasing one, that's a tough one. And that's that's a pretty common one, too. I, I, I talk to a lot of people who struggle with that same that same mental pattern.
0: It is really hard. And I know you mentioned and you shared about your brother and, you know, a lot of these traits of being in a family dynamic where there where addiction exists, you know, people pleasing perfectionism uh, for me, like thinking like I'm crazy, like my feelings don't matter. And those things end up being so much harder than actually not drinking.
1: Yeah. yeah like, I mean, how many, how many times have we grown up asked myself, is this how I should feel? Like, cause that was a big thing. I was asking, Sh- feeling this way. Is this the right way to feel or is this the wrong way to feel? And there is no right or wrong way to feel your feelings are what they are, but you know, they exist and they are real and they don't determine your identity. And so that separation of, of myself from my feelings, man, that was a big one to figure out. And It's just crazy. It's just crazy. If you had told me in 2016, Trisha, you're going to figure out that alcohol is like 20% of this and the other 80% is the rest is what you're going to work on. I just would have never believed you. I thought it would have been so one dimensional and it's not.
0: It is the tip of the iceberg, my friends. It gets intense. <laughs> I know we're also both working through some uh, ACOA, adult child of an alcoholic workbook, and it's like, whoa. We were like, we probably wouldn't have been able to pick up this book a few years ago. Let's just absolutely say that absolutely <laughs>
1: not. Absolutely not. I needed some serious tools to even start that program. That was intense. It it is intense. I'm only on like step so. <laughs> Oh. And it took like five months to get to
0: step two. <laughs> <laughs> Slow and steady, my
1: friend. Yeah, I'm in no hurry. I'll get there.
0: You said earlier that when you were high functioning in your drinking, achieving was your currency, and growing up, that became your currency. What would you say your currency is now?
1: I would like to say that it's joy. You know, it's joy and and contentment, if if that counts. Totally you know? counts. I mean, I- Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure if you're looking for like a bad currency or a good currency. (laughs) No. (laughs) No joy. I would say joy and peace. You know, I need to know at night if I am sleeping easy and there's not a whole lot of stirring in my head, you know, just ruminating on things Then I know I'm doing something right, you know, and and lately through a lot of breath work and meditation, it's just I'm just trying to find the joy and everything. You know, I've spent my whole life trying to base everything about myself on what I could achieve and what I could earn. And all that does is just force you to work yourself into a hole. And, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. It certainly it never got me anywhere. But I do know that it feels a lot better when I try to find the joy in things and focus on what makes me happy, instead of what I think I should be doing for other people, or even what I should be doing, you know, for myself, it's like, No, what, what do I really, what do I really want to be doing? Um, you know, there's some discernment, you have to learn with that. But I think that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, and knowing you personally, it's really neat to watch, you know, we we both are grown adults, we have to do things sometimes in our days that aren't as exciting and aren't as joyful, but I feel like the way you carry yourself and and make decisions is definitely shown you're kind of getting away from that people pleasing path and just getting on your own path. And whether that means like you're going to either go to your Pilates class or skip it or, you know, make a mocktail in the middle of the day, I feel like you're really honoring like little younger Trisha, which is really cool to watch.
1: You know, it's funny because it's a decision too. It's an active decision. Last night I ordered a, a cheeseburger and fried pickles at like 845 at night. So essentially I sat down at the dinner table and ate all of that food at, well, half of it at nine o'clock. And normally I'd be like, no, it's too late. You're not going to sleep well. You're not going to feel good. You know, you shouldn't be spending that money on takeout, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, you know what? I need dinner. I really want a cheeseburger. It's going to take off. It's going to taste awesome. And it's going to make me happy. And that's all that matters. Like, why do I need to should all over myself Mm -hmm. and base every decision on shame and a a finger wag? And the only person who can really control that is me. So I think I think there's also a mindset switch that happens when you realize that you are the person that controls. It's not a victim thing. It's not like a no, I have to do this because for whatever reason, it's like, no, you make a choice. You make a choice to, uh, uh, you know, on, on how you want your life. You're in control of that. At least in my experience, I am in control of that. And uh getting to that point is there's so much freedom there. It comes with challenges too, but there's a lot of freedom in it.
0: Yeah, because like you said, it is it is your choice. And then that choice can only be taken again and again with with practice and repetition. Because I I, I know you and I have similar disciplines and how we work and we're responsible and and, and want to do everything right and the in right way. The right way. So you do have to almost. You have to practice to change that internal dialogue to where it comes easier for us to loosen up. Because we're. I, for me, I was so used to being so tight and rigid and and controlling, and everything had to be perfect. It, it takes practice to just like let my shoulders down and be like, dude, chill the f out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the cheeseburger incident too last night. It's like that convert that brief conversation I had with myself in my head. That's the work. That is the work, stopping and being mindful of what I'm thinking and going, "Eh, no, we're not going in in that direction anymore. We're going to do this now. That's the work. It's not like you decide and all of a sudden your habits change. It's small and slow and steady over time. But those thoughts are the work. It's hard work. But um, we have so many opportunities to practice it every day.
0: So many opportunities to practice it. and, And you're right. You know, it's a choice. And we have to protect our own energy, which is probably sounds like a broken record for you at this point, because you hear me say that to you over and over again. How do you protect your energy, Tricia? Talk to me about this one. I know we, we can go long on, the, on this question.
1: I wish everybody could see what I just did with my <laughs> face just now. How do I protect my energy? Okay, first, if we're going to get like logical here, first, I have to identify what is an energy suck, you know, really identify a problem, you know, okay, I feel this way. Why? Okay, it's because this person said this thing. Okay, why did I cause that? Or did they, did they do it? Did they was it was it out of line for them to say something? Okay, I choose B. okay, great. Now, what was my reaction to that? Okay, where did that come from? Like, it's, again, that's the work, the thought, process of really digging in and breaking it down. It sounds really complicated when I list it out like that. You know, your thoughts are so quick, it's not like it takes that long. But I think just identifying my part in things and half the time I don't have anything to do with with those instances where I feel like I'm being sucked dry. I'm going to I'm going to kind of form my thought here for just a second.
0: Take your time. It it is hard. I know it's a hard question because it's like you and I talk about daily exchanges of just our normal life where we have to protect our energies and it can be as easy as just set boundaries, yada, yada. But then we get these curveballs where we get triggered still. And that's the work. Like you said, why is this activating this in me? And how can I react to it in a way that it's protecting my energy versus feeding into it? And it's not perfect. Half of the time I'm in it when I call you half of the time. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you and I would do without each other sometimes. Can you believe that this happened? Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to have a friend who talks to a large audience behind a microphone because you understand what it's like on this side. Sometimes when everybody, you know, thinks that they get to have an opinion on what you do and how you live your life and what you say on the air. And it's really just, okay, what can I control here now that, and then identify that. And then that's what I work on, you know, draw a circle around yourself focus on what's in the circle and that's and and you know and that's it you know I have a certain amount of energy I have a certain amount of days in my life and it's my job to figure out what I want to spend that time on and I guess you know and then there I mean there are some days when I can't do it there are some days when I haven't slept enough or I didn't eat or you know I'm feeling moody or whatever and I can't and somebody just zaps it out of me and I don't do as good of a job as I would have liked but you know what is you you get to go to bed at night and sleep for six hours, and then wake up and do it again the next day, and you try again the next day. That's all you can do. We're all gonna die anyways.
0: You get to try again, and, and like you said, you know, I I'm really grateful that I get to talk to you about this and it's not just this back to like, you don't have to have a podcast to feel these things, because it could be, you know, nobody really knows what's happening in your life. Say just Instagram, everyone thinks they know each other, everyone thinks that they know the whole story. I I love a puzzle analogy, because you know, I love puzzles, everyone thinks they know every single piece of the puzzle, when in fact, they're just getting like, the top left corner. And then Mm -hmm. we're humans, and and people assume things. Uh, I was just listening to Dare to Lead Brennan Brown's leadership book, and she was talking about how our brain needs to complete that circle of a story. So you like start like, oh, there's Odette on that picture. And like people make up a story and then they need to close that storyline, even if you're filling it up with nonsense, lies, assumptions, whatever you want to call it. It's just what our brain does. And when you fill that Loop and you close that circle, you get that comfort dopamine hit of your brain. It needs to make sense in your brain. And that's Mm -hmm. what we experience. And we just, whatever it takes for it to make sense in our brain, we'll go with it, we'll roll with it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, unfortunately, people get the short end of that process because you end up saying it out loud or having an opinion that is wrong, or you don't even know if you're accurate. And it affects people. You know, we're just all humans trying our best.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's funny when I say, um, you know, when I make the comment about us being around behind a mic and getting to relate to each other, I'm glad that you brought that up. Like you don't have to have a podcast to feel these feelings. And I, I bring that up because um, I am going to disappoint people, period. No matter. I don't care who you are. At some point, I will disappoint you. And I disappoint myself. You know, I'm in recovery too. I am an alcoholic or pro- problem drinker, whatever word you need to put there. I am that person just like anyone else. I used to have a really bad problem with alcohol. I have learned a lot of tools that I put into practice that I work hard at every day. I have, a, you know, two jobs and a dog and a regular life like everybody else has. I'm doing the best I can. And it, it can get frustrating when people assume because they tell the stories that they need to complete the circle in their brain. And to be fair, I know that I've done that to other people because I am human. We are all human. But our own experience, our own personal experience is not a universal experience. You know, I kind of joke saying like, well, we're all the same. Well, you know, if we've all had a drinking problem, then we understand the same feelings. But like what's going on up in our brain, it's not universal to everybody around us. You know, as much as you and I have in common, our brains are very different. Our life experiences are very different. and We just have to be we just have to remember that that other people are just doing the best they can do, too. We have to give each other grace and, you know, realize that we're just all doing the best we can. And. You know, we all could, we all could probably stand to listen more to each other rather than speak up more and have less opinions and just continue to keep our ears open. I can always stand to take my own advice there.
0: A hundred percent. And it's not just like you said, we're all, we, you and I, everyone is imperfect. And for me, a huge lesson has also been, I back to the people pleasing thing. I can't make everyone happy. And it almost is a relief because I, I, I'm not in charge of everybody. Mm -hmm. And that feels good. There used, I used to be when I was in my head and my addiction and my problems, I wanted to be in charge of as much as possible. I feel like that has been a big shift for me. I want to be in charge of as less as possible. Like I can barely Mm -hmm. keep up with my own shit on a day to day. So Mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Less is more. It's a control thing.
1: Yeah. And you're right that relief is a really good feeling because I also remember when I quit drinking, the feeling of relief that I had was like, oh, God, okay, I can give up and stop fighting the impossible now. Totally. Anytime, anytime you have those breakthroughs, whether it's quitting drinking or, you know, uh, leaving an abusive relationship or being gaslit, whatever, anytime you can go, oh, God, I'm just I, I give up. I'm done. There's so much freedom there. You know, it's just a big fat exhale.
0: Yeah. And opinions back to what you were saying, you know, a lot of the the questions that I get asked, and I'm sure you get asked as well is you know, what am I going to tell my family? What am I going to say to people at this party? You know, the early sobriety struggles of opinions, we, we really sometimes get consumed in what are people going to say? How are people going to react to my new life decisions? And, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion. And I've also learned that I only care about a few people's opinions, the close, the people that actually know more so the full puzzle, more so have a bigger picture of who I truly am. Everyone's going to have one. So you can't really have all of those affect you or else it's going to be really hard.
1: Yeah, and there actually I want to go back real quick. Uh, well everything that you said is right. Like we have to know who our team is. We have to have our people that really know us yep. and and go to them for counsel and not go to people that don't know the story. I you know, if somebody's going to have an opinion, they need to understand the whole context. And you know, it's funny People's opinions aren't indicative of how much they think about you because people typically have a lot more opinions about you than they actually spend thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And that's a relief too. all the worries about going to a party. What are people going to say? What are they going to think? The truth is they're not thinking about you. They're not. They're thinking about themselves. We are all obsessed with ourselves. That's how the human brain is. We're having our own little experience. So that should be a relief. Not everyone's thinking about you. You might think they are because they said something to you one time, but that's probably where it ended. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. That should bring you some relief. And yes, find your team. Like the people that know you are the ones that you go to. If you get so wrapped up in the people that don't know the story about you, you're going to end up living someone else's life and not your own. And your life is yours to live. You know, if you try to live somebody else's life or try to be this thing that you think everybody is trying to make you out to be, who wins in the end? Because it's not you.
0: Yeah. and, And that was the other, that's one of the byproducts of sobriety that we don't think when we subscribe to this lifestyle is accepting yourself ends up becoming a product of this decision. That's the, that's the whole point other than quitting drinking is actually accepting yourself with all the imperfections that we just talked about you know that's whose opinion matters most when you when you go to bed at night you've mentioned that a couple times when you go to bed at night when you look at yourself in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth like that is it that is what matters
1: that self-approval I think that was the word the, the phrase that you used when we were texting earlier today your your approval of yourself is what matters you know I mean, if there's one thing I wish I could do in my life, it's it's think about myself the way that my dog thinks about me. Mm. You know, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> she adores you. I wish I could love me like my dog loves me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, goals. Hashtag goals.
0: Chisha, talk to me about your anxiety, and I want to ask about this because you mentioned it early on, and you also talk about it on your Instagram sometimes. Alcohol used to help manage it until it didn't, obviously, and it was probably fueling it even more at the end. How is it now? I know you still struggle with it. How do you manage that relationship with your anxiety now?
1: Well, first of all, I I think I've had anxiety. I think I had it as early as age seven, that's when I can remember maybe six. That's when I can remember having the feelings like in my stomach. And it was just undiagnosed for a long time. I don't think I ever really asked for help or identified what I was feeling. So I don't fault anyone for not diagnosing it. But I had a formal diagnosis in my late 20s when I started to have um, physical panic attacks that were preventing me from like living a normal day to day life. So, you know, I was calling out sick to work all the time and canceling plans and, you know, huffing and puffing into a, a paper bag. It was just awful. So So I got medication that I have used like just when I need it. It's not something that I have to like take every day, but I didn't really get any tools to really manage it other than here's the thing that's going to change the chemistry in your head. And I'm very grateful for that medication. I still use it, but anxiety can be progressive as well. At least that's been the case for me. So what started out as just a physical panic attack of like the, uh, you know, hyperventilating and, you know, wanting to throw up and tunnel vision and all those fun things. Eventually it turned into what's dissociative anxiety. So I was noticing where I would just block out days at a time. I mean, not from alcohol, not like an alcohol blackout, but like, I just wouldn't remember a whole weekend, even though I knew I was there. And those would be times when I was feeling a lot of anxiety, I would lose my sense of smell and taste and And it turns out that's just what my anxiety progressed to. And now it's just something that I I live with and pretend it's a roommate. It's just something that's in my head. And sometimes it speaks louder than other days. But I know what to do to sort of keep it in check.
0: Do you find that some sober tools are applicable to anxiety as well?
1: Giving up alcohol is the best thing you can do forgive for anxiety. It'll, I know it feels like that glass of wine is soothing you for a minute, but scientifically and biologically that is not happening. You might, you will feel that way for a short time and then it's going to create more anxiety and that will continue to get worse the more that you drink. When, if you give up drinking, I guarantee you, you will feel less anxiety. Maybe not at first, maybe not at first, but soon like your body will readjust and you won't have that chemical forcing that response anymore. But now instead of reacting to it, I just try to prevent it where I can. And those are all tools I learned in, in recovery, you know, having a therapist, meditation, journaling, journaling is huge exercise, getting good sleep, making sure I'm eating. Like these are very basic ways to take care of yourself that have tremendous benefits for anxiety. And I still do take medication as needed. And I'm so grateful that I have it. But preventing it is a, is really the best thing.
0: Yeah, I think I thought about the HALT acronym right now. You know, it's so crazy how sometimes just eating like, oh, I had when was the last time I had a, a meal? And how long did I sleep last night? For me, it, it's very similar, but with depression, it's like those simple things that mm-hmm. I learned through, This journey of just self care. You know, we're busy. We're high functioning. I don't have time for myself. I don't have time, you know, hustlers. I sleep less. Whatever. I've I've totally flipped that
1: switch to I
0: understand how how much I need it and how much I enjoy it. I love sleep now
1: so much. I love it. That's why I'm so protective of my morning routine and like going to bed early. It's like, yeah, I know it's nine o'clock. It's time for me to start powering down. That's what I do. Like that's how you get and I'm, I'm having this imaginary conversation, like with man friend, like, but this happens. I'm like, yeah, it's time to start powering down. Like, this is how you're going to get the best version of Trisha tomorrow. So deal with it. It's a win-win <laughs> oh, man friend. Hi, man friend. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> I like, I like to keep, I learned that I like to keep as much of my private life as I can private. So that's why we don't say his name. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've heard you recently say a couple of times, I don't even know where you've been mentioning how you feel more and more connected to your body than ever. And that is almost a newer thing on this journey for you. I know you you talk about breath work and how that's had a part in that. What do you mean by that? How is that helpful being more in tune to your body as you're on this journey?
1: Well, the, you know, the body keeps the score. So typically, your body is going to respond to something a lot faster than your brain will, and your body holds on to trauma. Uh, it hold, holds on to old memories and things can trigger you that your brain won't really won't really catch, but your body will. So I've always been told, like, we'll listen to your body. And it's like, OK, well, I'm trying to figure out, like, do I tense up? Like, I just you know, there's always been a weird disconnect. Like, I feel like I've never been able to really listen to my body as much as I've been told. And then I started doing breath work a couple of years ago with Britick. You know, he taught me how at that. RE retreat in Bozeman, a couple of so, which was really incredible. And then I did it on a Zoom call. And then I did it on my own. And then I did it some more on a Zoom call. And now I do it all the time. And what it has done is checked me into my body. I feel like I'm living in my body now. And I can actually feel it when I'm getting physically triggered. I can feel it when I'm, you know, uh, overly emotional about something. I can feel it when I'm stressed or when I'm tired. I feel it And and hear it and see it like I am checked in now and that was a I didn't realize that was a disconnect you know you don't know something until you know it you know if you're living one way you don't know any different because that's your only experience until you learn a different way and learning this different way I'm like wow I was how was I doing it before and uh, yeah that's all from it's from breath work it's been really powerful for me it's something I'm I'm really hoping to kind of get more into.
0: I yeah, it. and I wanted to ask this because it it is important. I it, it makes me think a lot about my own journey and people who struggle with with eating disorder recovery and how at the beginning when I started treatment, the doctors would say what's your hunger like? What's your hunger that we used to do the hunger scale at, at treatment? And I'd be like, I don't know. And what's your fullness level? And I'd be like, I don't know. And it reminds me of like, we have all of this information and all of this data and all of this advice and all of these diets we've tried. So we've completely don't even know what it feels like to be hungry. And with you having the lifestyle that you had of like high functioning, ambition, perfect, achieve, all of these things, it, it was probably really easy for your brain to kind of this unplug you'd like this is yes. what we have to do so it doesn't really matter what you're telling me we're just going to go and achieve and yeah and do this and coming back to that just seems so obvious it seems so obvious to me having young kids and seeing how connected they are to their cues and like how are we supposed to assert our needs if we don't even know what we're feeling and right. i i feel like it's important in on this journey to find that connection again, whatever that vehicle vehicle is, but then it's easier to identify what you need. A lot of the times the struggles that we have in later in sobriety is like, I don't even know what I want. I don't even know what I'm feeling. I don't even know. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it really helps you to label those things that you're dealing with on a day to day. Yeah,
1: Yeah, because if you're constantly bypassing what your brain, what your body is telling you what to do, then you're going to train your brain, not listen to your body, which is why I worked 15 hours and just wouldn't think twice about it, you know, which is why uh, I didn't realize that I have a lot of anger inside of me that I didn't know how to express. You know, when you grow up not understanding how to express emotions that are uncomfortable, such as anger and sadness, that's got to go somewhere. Mm. And it usually shows up, you know, in my case, it showed up as a drinking problem, you know, it shows up as anxiety, that stuff has to come out, your body has to get rid of it somehow. And doing breath work. That's another thing that it's helped me to do is locate that in my body and find a way to release it through breathing. And it's so powerful. It makes me feel like I've got so much more space in my body, because I'm not jacked up full of old anger from something that happened, you know, one time 20 years ago. You know, it like that lives in your body. And there's a great resource if anybody if I don't know if you want to put this in the show notes, but um the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk, just a great primer on it's more than a primer, it's like an encyclopedia yeah. on how that lives in your body, how it's stored and uh it's fascinating how much we don't know about our own bodies. <laughs>
0: fascinating and fascinating how wise they are if we let them. If we let them, yeah, if you learn how to listen
1: to them and stop ignoring them.
0: I love this. I feel like we could talk forever. Um, We mm-hmm. have reached the rapid fire round, though. I have some okay. new questions from your previous rapid fire. So All right. here's the first one. What is okay. something that is unexpected about this journey?
1: How fun it is.
0: What's your favorite ice cream flavor?
1: I can't eat ice cream. Sorry. Uh, what do I what do I do instead of ice cream? Pie. My favorite pie, kind of fruit pie, like peach pie. I could eat ice cream. I wish I could.
0: You just celebrated your birthday and you got this like weird pie on a cake on a cheesecake thing that I still can't pronounce the name. What's it called
1: again? It's called a pie cake oh, pie cake yeah. So it's like a turducken of desserts and it's it's a layer of cake on the bottom, cheesecake in the middle and a pie on top. Umami. Umami. <laughs> It is very sweet. (laughs) But yes, I got that for my birthday from two close friends who know me that I go to for advice. You know, they know me well enough to send me something like that for my 40th (laughs) birthday. (laughs) Thanks, Doug and Lexi. What has recovery made possible for you? Meeting myself, meeting myself, learning who I really, who I really am.
0: Trisha, meet Trisha. She is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) What parting piece of guidance can you give to, I have a difference, young listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze. I'm getting a lot of traffic with young people who think they're going to miss out on their best years and they need some words of advice because they just feel like they should wait.
1: Asking questions about your relationship with alcohol is always a good thing. Ask questions, push back push back. If somebody is giving is telling you that this is what you're supposed to do, because that's just what you do. Don't buy into it. Ask questions, refute, you know, it's just always defend yourself, stick up for yourself. And also, if you think you're going to miss out, you absolutely will miss out. If you continue to drink, you will miss everything. If you drink, we are so obsessed with this fear of missing out. And if that's you, and you're holding on to booze, because you're afraid of missing out, you're already missing out. You already are missing so much. No time is too soon.
0: You're already missing out. I love that.
1: Yeah, because you're hung over all the time or drunk all the time or blacking out. You're already missing out on so much.
0: And when you're not, you're Googling or listening to this. So join the mm-hmm. join the party. Join us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, party's open. Party. That's the
0: other thing. Party's on. Yeah, you talked about having more space in your body when you let go of these feelings and like the amount of space that you can release in your brain when you stop this thought cycle of should i quit obsession. should i quit should i quit that is a big yeah. chunk of space
1: it's in- an it, it's an obsession and it's it's uh it sort of detracts you from the real from the real problem which is ask yourself if you're happy that's what you need to ask i love you thank you so much oh, i love you too thank you for having me talk soon
0: <laughs> bye. bye very well team RE. that's a wrap so a wrap on our interview and a wrap on the season. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little final challenge. This challenge is inspired by Glennon Doyle, and it has to do with the matrix that we were talking about earlier. Consider this my last homework assignment of season two. Take out your journal, notebook, computer, whatever, and write out what the most beautiful and most authentic version of your life would look like. What would that mean to you? How would it feel? Who would you be connected to? Get specific. If you are so frustrated with the way things are now, but somehow keep coming back to it because the unknown is too scary for your brain to even process, then give your brain some ideas of what life outside of the matrix would look like. Give your brain some direction so that it feels less freaked out. Our brain doesn't know the difference between our imagination and reality. So write it down. Fill in all of those fear gaps with hope. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. If you muster up the courage to do my final assignment, I would love to read what your most beautiful and most authentic version of your life looks like. So feel free to email me and share it with me. My email is odette at Recovery Elevator, you took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. I believe in you. Love you guys.
2: How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Be can't be felt. It. it can't be thought. About. Your inner purpose is to awaken. to awaken. You share that purpose with every other person on the planet because it is the purpose of humanity. When you don't cover up the world with words and labels, the sense of the miraculous to your life that was lost a long time ago when humanity, instead of using thought, became possessed by thought. The word I embodies the greatest error and the deepest truth, depending on how it is used. In normal everyday usage, I embodies the primordial error, the misperception of who you an illusory sense of identity. This is the ego.